0: Welcome to ZEOCAST, six questions for industry leaders in unmanned aerial systems, geospatial, and the industries that surround them, brought to you by ZEO Air. Sit back and enjoy this week's guest. Our guest this week on ZEOCAST is Cheryl Contreras. Cheryl is the Deputy Head of Flight Operations for Iris Automation, a collision avoidance company, starting their test program based out of Reno. In her role as Mission Commander, she directs general aviation and small UAS operations testing, operational risk management, manned and unmanned mission planning, operator and flight technician training, data analysis support, and planning and conducting deployed operations with IPP partners and customers across the United States. Join me in welcoming Cheryl Contreras. Cheryl, thank you so much for joining us on Zeocast. I'm so excited to have you.
1: Uh, Hi, Bronwyn. Thank you for having me. It's my pleasure.
0: Absolutely. And I must, you know, give a shameless plug up front that not only are you uh, at Iris, uh, you are also a consultant for uh, Zio Air. So, I, so I'm kind of <laughs> dipping into the company pool this time. But I think you have so many interest, interesting things to say and to share. Yeah, thank you. Absolutely. So How did you get into the UAV uh, industry as a lead test pilot and operations guru? This is an interesting story. Please tell us.
1: Yeah, definitely. It was a little bit of a workaround way. Um, After going to college, I was studying criminal justice. My my original thought was I want to join the Air Force. I want to go through JAG. um, And I want to continue my path with law. Um, When I was actually getting towards the end of college, I actually started working towards my PPL. um, And I actually started flying a small Cessna, a Cessna 172. This was actually a pivotal point in what I am choosing to do in my career. And I just fell in love with aviation and it became my passion. Um, I did still pursue the Air Force and got a commission. However, um, it was for an air battle manager, and I actually turned it down. Um, During that period, I had actually started working with Iris Automation and kind of got my toes wet within the UAS industry, along with flying um, GA. And, you know, Bronwyn, ever since then, I just couldn't turn back and I didn't want to go into JAG and I didn't want to continue on with law and again that's why it was such a pivotal point and that's what really turns me or turned me to aviation and really kept me within this industry especially the UAS industry it just wow. really piques my interest. Well that's great
0: I think you and I both share a love for wanting to be in the Air Force I wanted to be a fighter pilot and astronaut you know just kind of progress on up, you know to as much upper space as I could or outer space yeah. as I could so I, I can appreciate that. And obviously I didn't follow that path either, um, but it's so great that we're both in the industry and also both pilots is so awesome. Um, now, now tell me a little bit more about your work with Beyond Visual Line of Sight. Cause I know you, you spend a lot of time and have a lot of expertise there. And you know, what's the fact and what's fiction and equipment and real applied use and, and timelines
1: as to when BVLOS becomes a real thing? Yeah, definitely. Um, you know, I think this is an interesting perspective that I have on BB Loss flights because I primarily work and test Iris's detect and avoid system, Cassia. Um, With this system, multiple BB, BB Loss flights have been improved both domestically in the US and internationally. Um, so I've personally flown a BB Loss flight. Uh, I believe that one was partnered with KSU and KDOC. Um, although it's very exciting and promising for the future of UAS, there is a lot of fact and fiction surrounding it. Um, I would say fiction-wise, it's not a short process. It's not an easy process. It's definitely something that is a lot of planning, a lot of, of forethought into it um, to actually get there. Um, So, you know, those things being fiction, I think the facts are this is a lengthy process for multiple departments in any company, really. Um, All those efforts are going into, you know, FAA approvals. The main focus for Iris, I would say, is our DAA system and proving its reliability, really, Um, because I'm not truly carrying any other payload besides that. Um, Mm -hmm. Equipment is definitely necessary. And without all the necessary equipment, hardware, software, it really makes mission planning and those approvals very hard. And you know, it's almost impossible to envision any type of approvals without it. Um so time-wise on that, you know, it, it's pretty lengthy. And you always want to do things by the book and make sure that you're really ready for it. So um, I think that's one thing that's definitely looked over is the lengthy process of it and the entirety of the work that goes into it and not only from a flight operations side you know you have your regulatory you have engineering you have r&d there's so many departments that are really entwined in it mm-hmm.
0: yeah I and mean, beyond visual line of site has to your point there's so many moving pieces here you know safety um the legal aspects of you know where and how we fly and, and you know any potential liability and risk also from an assurance perspective. Um it's coming, you know, we know it's coming. Mm-hmm. Um it's just a matter of putting all of those pieces together. Yes. So based on that, what are your biggest concerns about you know the public and industry expectations of, of B loss?
1: You know, Bronwyn, I would have to say my biggest concerns are the public in the industry not taking the necessary steps to make BV loss missions both effective and ultimately safe. Uh, when done properly, I know firsthand how productive they can be, and honestly, why there's such a need for them, um, especially during the times we're in now. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, without the proper planning, hardware, time, and thought that these missions uh, really require, you know, the mission may not go as planned and. Some companies, some public, you know, you may want to rush into it in order to get the job done. Um, Again, referring back to the times we're in, everything is we got to have it now. We have to make it work now. Um, We're in a pandemic. Things are things are, you know, everybody kind of has a fire that's lighting them trying to move forward Um, with this. My fear is people rushing into a BV loss flight. Um, I think of how vital autonomy is. And I would hate for one small mistake to compromise the whole progression of it.
0: Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Exactly. So, you know, based on that, you know, what other technologies will be required for BB loss and autonomous proliferation? Like what else do you think we need uh, from a tech perspective to make this work?
1: Yeah, well, I definitely believe first and foremost, that a DAA system will be an undeniable and necessary technology required for any DV loss and autonomous operations in the future. Mm -hmm. Adding on to that, it's really hard for me to imagine that at some date in the future, more regulations and requirements won't be necessary for any type of hardware that's going to be used along with it, right? Um, Now, that can be anywhere from the aircraft itself to the autopilot and board and the ground station operating it. And I honestly feel that those things being regulated would make this very safe and really keep the ball rolling. And can you, you know, for people that may not be aware, can you share a
0: little bit more about what DDA actually stands for?
1: Yeah, of course. So uh, DAA is a detect and avoid system. Um, I'm going to refer back to IRIS here. So it's, mainly through AI and what it's doing is automatically detecting uh, both GA, other aircraft, uh, UAS in the area, as well as birds. Um, we like to joke about UFO, right? Unidentified mm-hmm. flying objects. But those are true. You know, if you don't know what it is and the system can't fly it or classify, excuse me, it it is a ufo so what will happen is once it's actually detected from our onboard cameras your uas will then take the necessary actions to to evade it um Mm -hmm. and there's great videos out explaining this probably way better than i can um it's that's just what it is very simply put and again i think this is necessary especially if you're doing um Any type of BB loss, anything for an inspection, even really think to drone deliveries in a suburban area where, Mm -hmm. you know, if this is going to kick off and keep going, you're going to have multiple UAS in the sky at one time. And that DAA system is going to be necessary because although you put all your thought and time into planning, you never know when something may go astray. And a DAA system kind of covers that for you. And that's really the beautiful part of it.
0: Yeah, you're right. I mean, you know, detect and avoid is, is, is uh, there's no way that we're going to see drone delivery, uh, urban air mobility uh, without it. Um, because when you get all of this new equipment, you know, in the air at the same time, this can present a significant hazard. Um, and of course, safety is always, you know, first and, and foremost. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, and, and, you kind of said a word, you know, one that's popping up everywhere when people talk about drones. You know, when you're thinking about delivery and long-range flight being a standard mode of logistics and operations, do you think this is going to happen in the next five years, kind of back to that timeline question, 10 years? When do you think this will become a reality?
1: You know, I think it's really right now hard to put a date on this, but with the need that I see, um, honestly, because prior to COVID, I, I would definitely have said we're farther out. Right. But the need for known contact, the need for long range flights for deliveries. Um, I honestly see that timeline being bumped up, you know, five, hmm. 10 years.
0: Mm-hmm. Wow. That seems so far off, but it actually really isn't when you think about the complexity of what's, uh, what's yeah. in front of us. Yeah, um, most definitely and especially so because of how new the, the UAS industry is. mhm, mm-hmm. a- absolutely so many moving pieces. Um so when should a when should a drone company, a UAS company adopt uh lost capabilities or we'll be thinking about it? And and what do they need to do to to do that?
1: Yeah, I mean like you've been saying there's so many moving pieces to this, right? It's a huge puzzle. Um I think that any company using UAS for long-term or long-range operations should consider BB loss flights. If done safely and planned for, it can make operations very efficient and cut down time as well as costs. Um, Flying BB loss requires a multitude of things. This is, you know, anywhere from the correct aircraft, that's a huge part of it. It needs to be able to carry the necessary payloads. Um, In my case, it would be, you know, cameras and a DAA system, whatever really your mission is, right? And on top of that, you need to have the endurance. Then these are things that can be very challenging at times. Mm -hmm. Um, This oftentimes means that you're gonna need something bigger. And what that means is a more advanced UAS. I think this leads to needing a flight team that is capable of flying the aircraft both manually as well as um, uh, automatically through a ground station. Following this is where really in-depth planning comes into play both on the flight operations side as well as the regulatory side. Mm-hmm. Uh, flight operations has to have a full mission plan that has all the required fail safes and risk mitigation incorporated within it. These types of missions should really be flown in a simulator plenty of times to work out any bugs that may not be you know, foreseen when you're first planning it. Uh, this of course will help with those issues, right? And on the regulatory side, A lot of planning and information is needed in order to get approval from the FAA to fly those BB lost flights, which now we're circling, you know, all the way back to your aircraft and your flight team and the kind of training you have, the kind of certifications your aircraft might have, what you're equipped with, what kind of backups do you have on board for anything that may happen. So although there's a lot to it and there's a lot more I can expand on, those are really Critical main components of that,
0: well, I mean those are all seen. like you said that there's a there's a lot that goes into this. The idea of just you know popping drones up in the air to fly you know long distances and carrying any kind of uh, increased and and you know unusual for today's standards payload certainly um is going to require all this th- the new technology on top of this technology. Um, and all the planning that goes along with it. So I'm excited to hear your perspective about it. I think you have so much to to bring to the table. Ha-ha, <laughs> hence you're on the team. And um, I look forward to having you back to talk about you know more perspective on autonomous flights and others. But these have been your six questions, Cheryl. Thank you so much for being on ZOcast today.
1: Thank you so much. I'd love for you to have me again. All
0: right. Bye-bye. Bye. ZioCast is a podcast dedicated to all things unmanned and geospatial. Only six questions per guest so you can get the essence of their wisdom. Brought to you by Zio Air, an outsourced AI-based drone services and data management company. www.zioair.com